Welcome to the Truth Wins Podcast, where the truth hurts sometimes, but it can save your life. Our heart on this podcast is for you to know why you believe what you believe and to be able to give a defense for it. This is episode 84, titled, Will Christians Go Through the Tribulation? Quick answer is no, but we're going to explain more why we think it's no in this coming episode. Uh, my name is Todd Sherman. I'm your host. And with me, as always, is my good friend, Stu. Say hey, Stu. Hey, Stu. Good to have you. Good to see you. Yeah. Have you had a good summer? Uh, pretty good. You know, it's it's been different. Yeah. You know, it's a little... You've had a lot of honeydews from your lady, right? Like uh, you were voluntold no, to do a few projects around the learning. house. She's learning. I already, you know, kind of broke her heart. <laughs> she went out to work in her gardens and the flowers. And I said, you know, I would go out there and work with you on that. But I've spent most of my life trying to get out of doing any yard work mm -hmm. ever. That's been yeah. my career goal. So you had a job description that you gave her before you said I do, right? It's like, I don't repair plumbing. I don't, I don't move do furniture yeah. anymore. That's thing. But she's gotten you to do some painting, right? Oh yeah. I've All done right. a little painting. So, but, Hey, you know, even an old dog or a medium middle-aged dog well, can I'm learn old. new tricks. I'm definitely old. I just trying so to be nice. You're, you're, I'm the middle-aged dog. You are. Well, we're going to have some fun with this one. As always, uh, we always enjoy talking eschatology or end time stuff. Yep. Uh, but I have a lot of people uh, good friends too. They're like, why do you believe in pre-trib? I think we're going to be here like Christians or we're going to be before the wrath piece and all that. So I want to talk about why it's not just that you and I don't want to be persecuted, right. but we believe biblically that Christians will be gone for a lot of different reasons. So we're going to dive into that in a little bit. But as always, we start our episode with time to stump stew. So this one is from our episode on all those contradictions in the Bible. And so Dave gave an example of a contradiction, which this is a legitimate at first read. It says, yeah, that seems to contradict. Uh, in Genesis 32, 30, it says, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Now let's talk about Jacob, right? Wrestling with the Lord. Is that from that? Uh, 32, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. But then we have in John 1, 18, it says, no man hath seen God at any time. So right. Dave's saying this is a contradiction. Right. And so I would take him back to the Genesis piece. And the, there's a saying in Hebrew, panim le panim. It means face to face. And it's the idea that uh, you're talking with somebody right in their face. So you can read their facial expressions, their eyes. You can see what's going on. It's not a Zoom call, mm -hmm. you know, for our listeners. Uh, but in the Bible, it also says that God can take on uh, theophanies, we call them, appearances mm -hmm. where he becomes visible in a sense, or so that humans aren't killed by seeing him. And that theophany is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, right? Right. Is what we believe. You know, and so the idea that um, God could be seen by, you know, he wrestles, Jacob wrestles with this angel and it's God, he knows, and he changes Jacob's name to Israel, you know, he who wrestles with God. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that God has to make allowances to be able to communicate with us as human beings, because we could not stand a perfect, sinless God to be in his holiness mm -hmm. is far more 
uh, challenging to us as sinful human beings than we understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being in the presence of holiness is a terrifying thing, as Isaiah found out yeah. in chapter 6. Yeah. You know, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. I can't do this. I'm, mm-hmm. But you are holy, God. Yeah. So God has to help people by changing his spiritual form into a yeah. physical form that can be seen. Huh. Is that similar, I mean, different, but similar with Moses, where he basically right. face Hides palms him in Moses. the cleft of the rock. Like, you know, just face palms. You can't take my face, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you see my backside. Yeah. But well, and even with angels. I mean, when yeah. humans in, we find in the Old Testament or even just out, extra biblical examples of coming to angels, people are like, I'm a dead man. Because yeah. just being around and that kind holiness. of power and yeah. holiness, you're... It's not us. No. It's, we're, it's foreign to us. Yeah. And maybe it's with Peter, when he realizes Jesus is God, he's like, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Because yeah. we just get that little glimpse or that big glimpse of our depravity compared to God's and holiness. And the centurion and the, you yeah. know, the, the Roman uh, guy with Jairus' daughter, you know, yeah. the guys that are anywhere in his presence and realize how holy he is, they always shrink back and yeah. drop. And, yeah. Well, that's good because the Hebrew is a big one to help with that too. And if you yeah. understand languages, that helps a lot with supposed contradictions. But then also, like you said, theophanies, other things where God communicates, like now he communicates through his Holy Spirit that we're indwelt with. So Right. And Jesus is God mm-hmm. and he comes and we could have, we saw him and touched yeah. him and yeah. we're able to because God made it possible. Cool. Even though he was holy too. Nice. All right, well, that's today's version of Time to Stump Stew. All right, well, before we talk about will Christians go through the tribulation, I want to talk about a company called Constructify. Constructify, although it sounds like a word that G.W. Bush maybe made up back in the day. Doesn't that sound like a a strategy? GW? Yeah. Uh, Constructify. Constructify is actually a company uh, that is sponsoring Truth Wins, and they are uh, your go-to solution for home improvement and energy-efficient projects where they construct it for you. Uh, They'll tackle windows, siding, roofing, decks, painting projects, all along the front range of Colorado. So if you're anywhere from Colorado Springs up to Fort Collins, uh, give Joe a call at uh, 303-502-1096. You can check them out at Constructify. So it's Construct with an I-F-Y on the end, Constructify.com, or email info at Constructify.com. Again, that number is 303-502-1096. Joe uh, heads up this company. He's been doing it for years. Um, I do real estate. That's my main hustle. And it's important to find not a huge company that's going to gouge you because, you know, Joe and Jill homeowners pay a lot more for home projects than invest, you know, investors like myself, because it's a huge company. They got vans and insurance and all that stuff to pay for. But you also don't want to go with your cousin who said he knows how to do drywall because then, you know, it's going to be more of a mess and you got to pay the professionals to clean yeah, it up. You don't want to go with me. I have no skills no. in that area. And no. my wife already found that yeah. out. Yeah. And Joe is a good guy. He's honest. He knows what he's doing. Fair prices. And if you mention Truth Wins podcast, you'll receive a 15% discount on whatever project you're doing. If you say Truth Wins Podcast is your favorite podcast ever, you'll get a 16% discount. Ooh, liking it. Yes. And And I just put that in there. Dude's hairstyle looks good today. Yeah. You get a 17%. No, (laughs) 16.5. 16.5 if you like the bald look. Um, 
So Joe's may not do the 16 or 16.5. I threw those in there. But yeah, try <laughs> Joe at Constructify. You will not be disappointed. All right, well, let's talk about going through the tribulation here today. What is the tribulation first and foremost, if somebody hasn't heard of that term before? Yeah, let's let's talk about it real quick. Uh, uh, some Greek philosophers who kind of influenced Christian theology a little bit. A guy named Plato. All right. One of his big things was that the world we live in here, the world of our senses, is not a perfect world. Uh, the perfect world is this world of forms, he called it. Uh, there's a perfect dog there. Every dog here is a shadow of that perfect dog. And everything else is not perfect here. So it, it came to look at physical things as of less value than spiritual things. So where it says, you know, God in the creation, in the Bible, it says that God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. It's good. It, physical things aren't wrong. The Gnostics also made that same mistake because they were influenced by Plato. Plato's the guy who wrote the allegory of the cave. So some Bible interpreters started thinking, well, if that's allegorical, then maybe those thousand year reign of Jesus that it talks about in yeah. Revelation 20 is allegorical. Yeah, good point. Like Origen was a big one on yep. that, right? Origen, yeah. On allegory, which you can basically dismiss any historical narrative, even though right. it's obviously history when you read through Genesis, Exodus, and all those. But they say, no, that's, I've never seen that kind of miracle. I've never seen God part a sea. Right. So it's more of an allegory or a, a type of a, a story or a metaphor to teach us this principle. Right. But you could do that with anything, right? It's a very right. dangerous weapon. And it's a dangerous biblical hermeneutic, you know, yeah. like a method of interpreting scripture. You don't want to turn it into, well, I think what this might be symbolizing yeah. is, because then you can make the Bible say almost anything you want it to. Yeah. And that's been the danger of many cults and heresies that have come out of that kind yeah. of thing. But on the other end of it, you don't want, you have to have those good biblical interpretation tools so that when it is symbolic or apocalyptic writing, there is a lot of symbolism. We understand that's symbolic. Right. And so we do know the difference between this is symbolic of something that's going to happen versus when it clearly says a seven year period or two, you know, time times and time and a, and a half or half a time is three and a half years. It's like, yeah, we understand that's what that means. And yeah, when it says a thousand year reign, it doesn't mean that that's going to happen now on earth like some view. Well, you and I both come from the literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture. Like what the Bible says, it says it's not making up a story. Jesus did speak in parables at times, but he tells you th yeah. that that's what he's going to do. Oh. And he interprets those for you, too. Mm -hmm. uh, so we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Yeah. And so when it says in Revelation 20 that there's coming this thousand year period that Christ is going to reign on the earth. Mm -hmm. It also talks in Isaiah 2 that one day God's going to make Jerusalem the focal point of the earth. You know, well, it hasn't been really yet. I thought New York was the capital. Well, you know, maybe in certain economic ideas it mm -hmm. would be, but it's really not. Not in the end times. But uh, yeah, so if you want to know what's going on in the world, because the God who created all this world and everything in it said, I've chosen Jerusalem. It's the apple of my eye. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be the focal point. So you watch what's going on there to figure out what's going to happen to the church in Israel, yeah. which are two distinct entities, by the way. They're not 
the church hasn't now become the new Israel. That's another flaw in theology. That's a huge thing in understanding end times events. That's why we believe what we believe, or one of the key reasons is because when you just say, well, the church church replaced Israel, Israel, that replacement theology, then all of the a lot of these promises go away too. Right. Then it doesn't even need to be in Israel, but it is. Like we've talked several times, yeah. Israel is a nation again after 70 years, or 70 years ago after 1900 some years. Uh, the the events are lining up for that end time conflict going on right. uh, to build a temple there. And we've gone through that. Again, if you haven't listened to any of our end times episodes, uh, listen to some of those. In fact, we early some on when early we started on. this, yeah. this is episode like five, six, seven, somewhere in there, we did a three-parter on all that stuff. But today we want to really narrow in and dial in on this tribulation because I've had more and more conversations with Christians saying, well, I hope we're not here, but I, I think we kind of like we kind of need to go through some of this. It's a refining time for the church. And the Bible doesn't promise us to get out of persecution. In fact, Jesus says you'll be persecuted like, like me. And those are all valid points. But does that mean that Christians are going to be here during that seven-year tribulation right before the thousand-year reign of Christ, the very end of human history as we know it? Yeah, the Bible also says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined us, and when Paul says us, he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He's saying the church for wrath. The tribulation is going to be different than any other time that has happened on the earth because this won't be a time where just natural disasters cause problems or the problems of physical decay and entropy, how we mm -hmm. all die. That's not going to be the reason. It's going to be God's pouring out his wrath on an unbelieving world. Yeah. And so he says he hasn't destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says the same thing, that we're not appointed for wrath. Mm -hmm. It'd be like, since we're the bride of Christ, the church, uh, the word in Greek for church is ekklesia. Uh, kaleo is the verb for to call, ek is out of. Mm -hmm. We're the called out of ones. Mm -hmm. We're the ones who are called out of the world. We're not the world anymore. Mm -hmm. We were part of it, but now God has chosen us out of it. Yep. So there's going to be a time when God takes out his church and then pours his wrath out on the unbelieving world. Yep. And it talks specifically about that in a couple of passages. So, yeah, we can get into those. And and part of that is it's the last wake up call for an unbelieving world too. It's right. not just like God's like, all right, I've had to put up with you for thousands of years. It's time for your spanking. It's like, this is the last wake up call. When you see, it's like, there are no atheists in foxholes. Right. And when you see the world actually crumbling before you and stars falling and hailstones, the sides of buildings and all this stuff, it says that some will say just, put a rock on me. I still don't want to believe in you, God, but I believe millions and millions of people will come to faith in Jesus right. led by the tribulation saints, which is different than the church. Right. Again, we're in the church age. And so right. that started at the day of Pentecost. So 50 days after Christ's uh, sacrifice on the cross, uh, roughly is the day of Pentecost. And that's when the church clock started. And that's when the clocks that we have in prophecy in the Old Testament, like Daniel 70 weeks and others, it was pushed pause because that's to the Jewish community. Right. And then Paul says in Romans 11, hey, the Jews, 
are going to be hard-hearted. They're going to reject by and large, and which has happened the last 1900 years. There are Messianic Jewish believers right. who believe Jesus was and is the Messiah, but most of them say, no, we reject that. And part of that was because of a bad eye or a black eye on the church history where the church in the first few centuries really went after Jews and called them the Christ killers. And so part of that's reactive to that too. Like who would want to be a part of this church if they think we're the ones that killed the Messiah, right? And in Romans 11, you said that passage, it says, I don't want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, which is always a dangerous place to be when you mm -hmm. think, hey, I'm wise, I've got this all figured out. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Yep. It tells you right there, I've kind of pushed pause on Israel. My focus is on the Gentiles to bring them to faith right now, mm -hmm. even though some Jews will still come to faith because God has always preserved a remnant that yep. it talks about in the Old Testament. Yep. He's kept the remnant too. Mm -hmm. But then he's going to turn the clock back on when he takes us out and say, now I'm back for my people yep. because I made a covenant with Abraham that's mm -hmm. an everlasting covenant. Yep. You can't go back on that. God mm -hmm. can't say, well, if God gave up on Israel, he can give up on us. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't. And the cool thing is we're already seeing not only just Israel and nation again, but we're seeing more yeah. and more people uh, fulfilling Ezekiel where it says they're going to come, you know, from all ends of the earth to come back to their land. And we're seeing Jews flee from Europe and all over the world. And so more and more immigrating back to Israel. And uh, last I heard from Joel Rosenberg, uh, not personally, but from his uh some kind of correspondence. He was talking about all these uh, Jews in Israel specifically, but around the world who are becoming believers in Jesus, like right. at a percentage that is much higher than it's been for the last 1900 years. So that 144,000 Jewish saints who will be leading during that tribulation time that the scripture talks about, you know, there are the groundwork is already being laid. And so they'll be leading the tribulation saints, both Jews and Gentiles, but it'll be back to being led by the Jews, kind of like it was in the first century with the apostles and the other, right. you know, the disciples leading the church that was Jewish led. Paul right. was a Jew. Right. His ministry was to the Gentiles, but he never said, I'm no longer a Jew. In fact, he said quite otherwise. In fact, he said, I'd give up my own salvation if I could guarantee the salvation of my people. Yeah. So God's not done with them, but this church this bride, as it's called throughout scripture, and Jesus says, you are the bride. There's a specific time for us and that time's coming to an end. But when that time is in, we're not going to be here anymore. What would be the right. purpose? Well, I would think of it this way. Uh, if Jesus was to leave us here and we did get, if anybody wants to read, you should read the first uh, from about chapter four in Revelation to about 19 and see all the terrible things that are going to come upon the world from God's wrath. Mm -hmm. I would think, you know, as the bride of Christ, as his wife, it would be like Jesus becomes a wife beater. You know, he's leaving us here to go through this stuff that God is pouring out on the world. Yeah. That doesn't sound like God's character to me. So here's a couple pushback I have from friends that, you know, love Jesus, believe yeah. pretty much everything I do, but this is where we differ. They're like, well, who's going to bring all those people to Christ if the church is suddenly gone? Well, then you got the 144,000 that we just talked about yeah. of Jews. And because it specifically says and it names the tribes they're going to be from, yeah. 
that God says, I'm picking these guys to be my witnesses yeah. when everybody's gone. And it's not like the uh, Visigoth tribe yeah. and the Parisian tribe. I mean, it's it's not European. It's not yeah. Gentiles. This is Jewish, it's the 12 Simeon, tribes. Levi, yeah. Judah, Gad, Asher. And you go Matthew. over to Israel now and you just talk to some Jew on the street and say, hey, which tribe are you from? They'll know. Most of them will know, right? Well, some of them can by their last name. Yeah. I mean, you can connect it. You know, if mm -hmm. your last name is Levi or Levi, you're yeah. probably from that tribe, Levites. Yeah. Yeah. Cohen was a priest, yeah. Yeah. so they know mm -hmm. they're probably from that group. Yeah. But um, the, the amazing part is that God has dispersed the Jews all over the world, mm -hmm. and no other nation has done this, and it's come back as a viable living entity with its own original language. Yeah. That's never happened. And traditions. Yeah. Never the seven feasts, the, the Sabbath, all the stuff is the same as it was several thousand years ago. So that argument is like, well, who's going to bring him? It's like, well, again, the whole point of the tribulation is God's last wake up call for an unbelieving world. And God will provide in and, and any of those seeds that you plant as a believer now. In fact, I'll just be a little, uh, share a little story. Like, I believe, as we've talked about with those seven feasts, that the fall feast or Rosh Hashanah or uh, the Feast yep. of Trumpets is when the rapture will happen. I don't know what year, I agree. but I think it's going to be on that, just like the four spring feasts. And we did a whole thing on that, too. So look back on the feasts. So. But I leave a little sheet out by my Bible on Rosh Hashanah and just saying, hey, if we're gone, this is why. And I point him to 1 Thessalonians 4 and I point him to 1 Corinthians 15 and say, God is waking up this world. Repent now. These seven years are going to suck. Trust me, you're not going to enjoy them, but it'll be worth it because then you'll be with the Lord for all eternity. So I believe all those seeds we plant as believers now and saying, hey, this is what it's going to look like. People are going to need that moment and say, well, where did all these Christians go? And then say, well, maybe Todd was right. Maybe Stu was right. Maybe my Aunt Sally was right all these years. We thought she was crazy. And then those people will come to faith and be leading others to faith through that tribulation time. But it's going to be a brutal time because the Antichrist is going to be killing people who profess faith in Christ. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, I just wanted to read this because it says, I don't, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, in other words, who have passed away already, mm -hmm. that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So the people who have died before us who are Christians, they're not left out. They're yeah. going to be part of this. It says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. That's why we believe the Feast of Trumpets is probably where this is going to hang on the God's calendar. Mm -hmm. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up. And that's where we get the word rapture from, caught up, harpazo in the Greek. We're going to be snatched out of the world. And this, this isn't like Jesus comes back to the earth. This is Jesus up here and we get snatched out and taken up to meet him there mm -hmm. so there's a big difference between people say well what about you know the second coming the day of the lord yeah. that's not the same thing yeah and people have to know there's differences between the rapture yeah and the second coming and like you said in first thessalonians 4 and then also in first corinthians 15 it says at the sound of the trumpet right. and that's that fifth 
festival, the first one in the fall. It's the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, as you've heard, I'm sure. But it's also the feast. It's originally the Feast of Trumpets. And so they start that. And it's actually a three-day event where nobody knows exactly when it is, which moon it is in that time, because there's a bit of a back and forth, which I believe is when Jesus says nobody knows the day or the hour. It's like, I believe we know the festival, but it could be the first day of Rosh Hashanah. It could be the second. It could be the third. Maybe that's that flex in there. But either way, it's that at the sound of the trumpet, then then those who are living will be caught up along with those who've died, like my mother and my father-in-law and others who've died before me who are believers. They'll be caught up with us to be with our groom, Jesus, because he talks about the church as a bride. He doesn't talk about the Jews as the bride, just as the church. Now, church, again, is Gentiles and Jews, but we're living in a very specific age. And so tell them a little bit about like what, if you were to get married 2,000 years ago in Israel, all the things that would go on that play into this imagery of us being caught up with our groom. Yeah, and let me just throw this 1 Corinthians 15 verse because it talks about what we were just talking about. I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's why the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any time. We don't know. There's nothing that has to transpire before it. But there was before. There was. But, but now those boxes those have been checked have off. Been checked. Israel's a nation. Temple could be rebuilt quickly. All these end times, these seven-year tribulation events could happen at any moment. So the Latin word imminere from which imminent comes means something that's hanging over your head, something that projects out that you know it's coming. You just don't know when. Yeah. It's like... Uh, a fastball from a certain pitcher. You know it's coming. You just don't know when because it could go right by you, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to be ready for it. But it says in verse 51, uh, 52, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet again, for the trumpet will sound. That trumpet theme just pops up again and again yeah. in pieces about the rapture. So in Jesus' time, when a young man wanted to marry a young woman, goes to her house, makes the bargain decides for the bridal price how much he's willing to pay for her he talks it over with his father and you remember jesus in a sense does this in the garden of gethsemane you know and he's realizing the price he's going to have to pay for his Mm. bride is huge Mm -hmm. he's going to be crucified Mm. so he's like if if it be your will let this cup pass from me but nevertheless not my will but Mm -hmm. your will be done Mm. And you start to realize, wow, Jesus paid a really big price for yeah, us. Yeah. And so then he, and he says no greater love is anyone than this to die. Lay down his life yeah. for his friends. And so Jesus uh, then says, the groom would say, I go to prepare a place for you after he sets that cup of wine in front of her. She picks it up and drinks it. He's, it's on. So he goes to prepare a place for you. And that's in John 14, that whole connection with the... This is the night of the Last Supper, right? Yeah. And so Jesus says this. Which is, sorry to interrupt, but the Passover meal, right? So all this imagery of a cup, taking that cup, drinking it, it's like they're kind of going through, they're fulfilling why they did the Passover for 1,500 years in Jesus. And he says, this last cup I won't drink until I'm back with you in the kingdom. But... There's also this imagery of bride and groom going on there with his church, the bride. Yeah. And so he's going back to prepare a place. And it says nobody knows when this is going to be except the father. The father has the final say. Mm-hmm. Goes, fixes up that house that he's going to bring his bride to. But he goes back and gets her 
But when he gets to the edge of town, there has to be a shout because the bride, bride herself is waiting there with her mm -hmm. bridesmaids. And she has to have some time to, you know, get her hair out of the curlers and get all <laughs> get some blush on. Women and, do. I don't yeah. know. Well, she has to have oil in her lamp too. Yes, and that's that's very symbolic of the Holy Spirit, as we talked about. Yeah. Uh, that you know, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You will be left here. That's what Jesus says. You know, five and there's ten virgins. Like five of them had oil in the lamp, five didn't. We got to be ready because the groom's right. coming at any moment. And we as the church, as the bride, need to be ready for that moment. And I mean, if you look around the world and you start seeing all the things going bad, you start to despair and give up hope, don't. Yeah. Because that means it's getting close. Yeah. And he's coming back. Yeah. And we don't have to fear. But the key part to me here is he goes and takes her up to his house. And they're in the house for seven days. Yeah. And remember we talked about that last seven period that's hanging out there yeah. in Daniel 9. That seven-year tribulation what chapter? Period. Oh, Daniel 9, 9, 24 to 27. Talks about the 62 weeks, the seven weeks, so that's 69. But then that last, that 70th week, he kind of leaves you hanging on it because that one, when the clock starts again for the Jewish people yeah. after the church age, is that last seven years of the tribulation. And Jeremiah 37 calls that period the time of Jacob's trouble. Hmm. It's Jacob's trouble. It's not, you know, the church's trouble. It's Jacob's trouble mm -hmm. because Israel is going to go through that yeah. and it's going to be bad. And it seems to indicate in several passages that only one third of them will make it through this, yeah. that a lot of them will be killed. By yeah, because the, the Antichrist. Antichrist sets up a peace treaty. So we've talked about this, too, where after the rapture, probably the Ezekiel 38 and 39 happen. Then they'll rebuild the temple. They have this peace treaty. And then at three and a half years, the midpoint is when he'll break that treaty. And then persecution of the church, of Jews, of pretty much anyone who opposes him. It's going to be the worst dictatorship ever that, that human history has known. And the cool thing with that imagery, too, in the marriage. And that, what's the Zola Levitt book, too, that uh, goes through that? Uh, a Christian Love Story yeah. by Zola Levitt. And it's two T's, right? L-E-V-I-T-T. -T. So you can go to ZolaLevitt.com. And that was actually, I mean, I'd known Stu uh, here and there through his son and the youth ministry. But when he first did a Seder dinner for the church, he handed me that book. And that's what really opened my eyes to understanding the Bible at a whole new level with the Jewish Christian studies. And just reading through that little pamphlet takes you 20 minutes. There's so much that comes to life when Jesus talks about in John 14 and other passages about the bride and the groom. And you're like, whoa, why That's didn't I ever learn this? Yeah, I never learned any of yeah. that. And it's like you said, suddenly it's like your eyes open and you yeah. just go, this makes perfect sense yeah. with the, what's, what it says in the Bible. Yeah. And any Hebrew person from that time would, would get this yeah. and understand the imagery. Yeah. But for us in 21st century America, it's, yeah. it's a foreign time. Yeah. So we have to do some history and study of that. Yeah. One thing I love about it too, he talks about, so the, the groom goes and gets the bride when she doesn't know. And then all her bridesmaids or friends there and they, they laugh and then she goes with a veil going through the town, back through the town, back right. to the father's house where he's prepared in addition to the house. You know, he's finished the back patio, turn it into a little two bedroom studio for he and the missus. <laughs> They go back there, right? They shut the door and they right. consummate the marriage physically, right. emotionally, spiritually. It's just the two of them for seven days. And John the Baptist talks about this. I think he's referring to this because yeah. 
in that tradition, the best man or the best friend of the groom would be right outside the door. And after the bride and the groom consummate the marriage physically, right. he whispers, says, hey, buddy, it's done. And it seems weird to us, right? It's right. Like, that's that's pressure. <laughs> that's perverted. Come on, guys. But that's how they did it. So then the best man would tell everybody else, hey, they're they officially married. Yeah. And they're like breaking glasses and people on chairs on their shoulder, whatever. <laughs> so then the whole party's like enjoying the whole week. Right. That's, I mean, Jesus' first miracle. He's there for a week making water yeah. into wine and they're, you know, they watching Netflix and whatever. Because it's kind of seven thing. days. Yeah, it's seven. You push. How many seven-day weddings do you go to? I we don't have those. I drag my heels just to go to an afternoon. <laughs> I was like, do I really have to go? You know, because guys and weddings. But anyways, John the Baptist talks about that. He's like, yeah. when I hear, I'm not the groom. When I hear his voice, I'm excited. I'm filled Rejoice. with joy. Yeah. I rejoice and because I get to tell everybody else the groom and the bride are together and he knew he understood that imagery and and if if you don't know the Jewish culture you won't get it. Right. And in Revelation 19 there's a cool tie into this because from Revelation 4 in 2 and 3 he talks to the churches. But from 4 on there's no mention of the church mm -mm. ever mm -mm. until chapter 19. You know and it's gone through all of the tribulation. And then it says at 19 that Jesus comes back with his, now it's, it, it went from Numfe to Gune, to wife. Huh. We were his bride. Yeah, now fiance his maybe. Wife, and we're going to be with him forever. Huh. It says, and, it, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 18 says, comfort one another with these words. Yeah. I don't think it'd be a comfort to say, Okay, you're gonna go yeah. through all of this terrible thing and just get beat down, and most of you will die. Yeah. And then I'll come back and we'll have a, you know, a takeout from McDonald's as we go through for yeah. our, you know, the bridal supper of the yeah. lamb. It's yeah. like that doesn't well, make sense. The First Thessalonians four and First Corinthians fifteen don't make sense either because he comes down and gets us. In and we go air. up to meet him in the air, but then do we come right back down? That wouldn't make sense. Because if you understand that, yeah, there are two different events. The second coming and the rapture are two different events. One is for the bride. Two is at First Thessalonians 15 where he says, uh, we're not un we don't have to be unaware of these things. It's like the world doesn't get what's coming, but you, sisters That's and brothers, Romans don't need to 11. be. Yeah, I don't want you to be unaware of yeah. these. Yeah, so these end times events, he's saying, I'm telling you, this is why yeah. it's. Time for the groom and the bride to be together, that intimacy that we'll have with our groom, and then we come back with them after the seven years at the second coming. And that's the battle of Armageddon. That's when, you know, Satan is finally, you know, destroyed and all the you know, the Antichrist and the battle in that battlefield that we've both been to numerous times. Right. And so that's where people mistake. They, they think the rapture and the second coming are the same thing or should be. It's like, no, they're two different events. <clears throat> And in Matthew 24 and 25, this brings up something. People say, well, I think the church is still here because it says, you know, when this happens, don't go into your house and take these things. Who is Jesus talking to there? He's talking to his disciples. Who are they? They're Jews, all of them, right? Because he says, I, you better pray that it's not on the Sabbath or in a winter or, you know, or women are nursing at that time. Or during the Super Bowl. Or during the Super... It doesn't say that, though, in, just, in the original Well, that's wintertime, so I'm, I'm assuming that's what he meant. <laughs> but the point being, Sabbath. Why would that matter to a Christian who's a Gentile? Mm -hmm. We don't follow those rules. 
But for a Jew, a Sabbath day's journey is only a half a mile. You cannot go more than that. Mm -hmm. So he's speaking specifically to them because they're in the time of Jacob's trouble. They're going through this. And so I would encourage my Jewish friends, come to faith in Yeshua now. Yes, You won't have to go through this. You'll be part of the rapture. Mm. That's a cool thing. All right, so we've got the Jewish wedding understanding, which helps, I think. That was the final solidifying of my eschatology of, of believing like as a kid i was like pre-trib because i don't want to be here because i watched yeah because you're afraid of i the, watched the late great planet earth and left behind and yeah, yeah those kind of because that was one where the girl gets beheaded at the end I'm like oh yeah, yeah. mom's scaring me into heaven not on purpose but it was scary but then you know going to seminary and and reading a lot of dallas seminary things on dispensation it's like it makes sense god yeah. has has interacted differently, like you were talking about in Stump Stew, with a theophany. We don't need theophanies anymore. We don't need Jesus to show up as an angel of the Lord because we have the Spirit. We have the testimony of His walking the earth two thousand years ago, right. and it doesn't mean that God, you know, Jesus still. I think there are visions. In fact, we're reading about in Muslim countries yeah. visions of Jesus, Jesus appearing to people, and you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of Muslims are coming to faith that way miraculously. But all that to say is that. This last dispensation or these last couple, you know, we're in the church age now, and that's a very distinct one. And then that last seven years during the tribulation is a different dispensation. And then the thousand year reign of Christ is certainly a different one. And then the new heaven and the new earth is forever and ever. And we don't ever, ever have to go through any of this again. Right. And I I think there are different views and we have brothers and sisters in Christ who hold different views on this. And And we pray for their salvation daily. Right. Right. (laughs) I had a friend, one of my best friends, he was a Greek scholar, he was a very good Greek student, and he was a post-trib, and I used to say, I said, Mike, why do you see that as being how this is going to work, you know, Mm -hmm. where Jesus comes and gets his people in the air, and then he just rams them back down to earth, like, oh, you just barely made it through all that seven years of Mm beatdown, and now I'm just going to run you back through McDonald's for a short, quick supper. And here you go. You know, it's like, what? I don't get that. No. To me, the sense of it is if you put it in its original context and you do the literal grammatical historical interpretation, you go, God has a plan. Yeah. And it's not that we deserve to not go through the tribulation. That has nothing to do with it. Mm. It's because, you know, that picture of us as the bride of Christ. He loves us. He he died for us already. Jesus took our wrath. On the cross. And there's no purpose for it because if we're already His, we don't need our eyes awakened to that. And that's again, that's the purpose of God's wrath. And yeah, I joked about praying for them because I got a lot of good buddies who love the Lord and know scripture really well, seminary, all that. Uh, but our joke is, and obviously it's a debatable issue. So it's fun just debating on this. Right. Um, I feel firmly that we're correct yeah. because we've done we the are. work. And <laughs> again, it sounds very prideful, but it's like, no. I feel like all these things stack on top of each other, but I obviously could be wrong. Either way, we're going to be okay because we're with the Lord. But our joke with them is like, hey, when we are being raptured, I'll try to keep an eye out for you and tell you I told you so. And they always say, well, I'll be thankful that you'll be telling me I told you so because they don't want to go through it either. Right. One one guy said, I believe in the pan trip. You know, it's all going to pan out. And I said, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to go in the order you believe it's occurring. <laughs> You're back so, of the line, so, buddy. 
<laughs> so he's getting leftovers, if anything, yeah, at the great yeah, banquet, you, too. If you believe in post-trips, yes. see you. Good luck. Jesus would be like, oh, you oh, have little my. faith. Oh, you have little faith. Any last last things on this one before no, we wrap I just her think, up? I just think it's a very beautiful image of how much God cares for us yep. and how much Jesus, our groom, is still doing right now, preparing us a place that when we go to be with him, we'll be with him forever. Oh. And then when the Bible talks about a time when the wolf will lie down with the lamb, and how is that going to? Well, it's going to be because Jesus is reigning on earth and Satan is bound mm. for a thousand. That's another key piece. Mm -hmm. Satan is bound during that millennial period. Mm -hmm. People say we're in the midst now, like post-millennial people. Yeah. Satan's bound. Do you see Satan bound yeah. right now? I think he's pretty active. And things aren't getting better. They're just getting worse. He's too. kicking some booty sometimes. Yeah. Build but back he worse. loses. Yep. Good. Well, again, go to ZolaLevitt.com, and, and it's called the, what again, the wedding? The, the A Christian Love Story. A Christian Love Story. They're just little pamphlets, and he's got several of them. He's with the Lord now, and he's a Messianic Jewish guy. Yep. So he figured it out and then passed on a lot of the Jewish understanding to us crazy Gentiles who didn't have that even on the radar till we did. Right. Um, so I encourage you to get it on the radar because it, again, opened my eyes to a lot of things. And just the bottom line is it just... I'm more amazed of God and his word and his timing and his covenants and all those things. It's like, it wasn't just some weird traditions and stories It all points to Jesus and it all has a purpose and it's perfect. So thank you for being with us. Uh, for my good friend, Stu, this is Todd. We'll catch you at the next episode.